following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Morning. Um, again, just a reminder after the service today, we're going to invite the kids downstairs. And anybody else that would like to sit in, you're welcome to join. And we're going to... Uh, Every Sunday after service, we're going to read a chapter from this book called The Biggest Story, um, How the Snake Crusher Brings Us Back to the Garden. Um, so it's going to be a great um, great time together, we hope, uh, and brings honor to the Lord and helps our, our kids uh, grow in him a little bit more. Uh, so that's right after service. So we're returning to our study in the Gospel of Luke this morning. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11, uh, page 861 in the Pew Bibles. And we're going to look at two separate accounts that that Luke puts together um, because they both address the same principle um, of Jesus as Lord of the Sabbath. And it's important for us to remember that we are trying to get to the principle level of Scripture so that we can apply those principles uh, to our own lives, um, moving beyond simply being rule followers to being true disciples of Jesus. So let's look at the text together. Luke 6, starting at verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask this morning that your spirit would speak through your word, that you would communicate your message to us, for these are your words, not mine. I pray, Father, that you would be Lord of this church, of our hearts, of your word, and that we would be changed and made more like Jesus as a result of our time together. 
for that will bring you the most glory. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Sabbath. Hmm. I think we probably ought to understand what that is before we get any further, um, before we go anywhere with this discussion. And this is a subject of some debate and has been for thousands of years. Um, And not just between uh, Jews and Christians, but among the church as well. What the Sabbath is, when the Sabbath is, what to do on the Sabbath, what are the rules for the Sabbath. And just like any controversy, theological, doctrinal controversy, the best thing that we can do is go to the word of God for our answers and ask, what does the Bible really say about Sabbath? Well, it actually says quite a bit. Lucky you. Um, First of all, the word Sabbath, often misunderstood and misused. It is translated from the Hebrew word sabbat, uh, a verb, which is interesting to me, not a noun. It's a verb that means to rest from labor. So the word Sabbath that we use as a label, as a noun, is really a verb. And it means to rest, which is a funny verb because it's a, a verb is an action and this rest is an inaction. So it's funny. The action of inaction, I guess. But it's not really inaction. It, it, um, this kind of rest is a totally different thing than just sitting on the couch. So if we start at the very beginning, we can see how God established a pattern for Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. God himself provided a pattern of Sabbath, of rest, for mankind to follow. Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, clearly, after six days of creating, like, the universe, God was probably pretty tuckered out, right? No, not at all. Not at all. He wasn't worn out from creating, but instead, he had us in mind in establishing a pattern for us to follow for actively resting. And I think it's important for us to get a hold of the the fact that to rest is a verb, because it takes effort for us to rest. Let's face it. Uh, what do you do for rest? Uh, for me, I work more. That's, uh, that's just, you know, it, we're all wired differently. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, starting at verse 8, God made Sabbath not just holy, set apart is the word, not just set apart, but he made it law, a requirement for the people to follow. Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So now uh, the Sabbath is not just a good idea. Uh, The Sabbath is required by the law. Exodus chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments, right? And the Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath day holy, what I just read, is the fourth commandment. We remember four on the floor, right? It's a day of worship, bowing down. That's how you remember your, right, your Ten Commandments. Come on, we've done this before. Commandment number one, you have only one God, you shall have no other gods before me, right? Commandment number two, you shall not make an idol to bow down to. Commandment number three, uh, you shall not take the, Lord, the name of the Lord in vain, right? Commandment number four, keep the Sabbath holy, right? Uh, commandment number five, honor your father and mother. So that's like, I forget how that went. It's like mom and dad and three kids. I, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember that one. Uh, commandment number six, you shall not murder. Right. Um, commandment number seven: You shall not commit adultery. I don't know. I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember what that one is. I didn't study for this test. I, I, I honestly, I never get past commandment number five. So, um, commandment number seven: You shall not uh, bear false testimony. Don't lie. Uh, commandment number eight: You shall not s- steal. Um, Commandment number nine, uh, you, sh- that's, you shall not lie. What did I say? Yeah, that's lie. So seven is, so, oh, adultery, don't commit adultery. Not adultery is a good idea. Don't commit adultery. And commandment number 10, you shall not covet. I'm going to have to ask Corey what the rest of the hand signs were because I get stuck. But I still remember the commandments, which is the important part. It's just not the hand signs. Sorry. So, but anyway, commandment number four, right? Four on the floor. Keep the Sabbath holy. Um, In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 through 15, God reminds his people of his commandment concerning the Sabbath. But he says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath holy. Why make reference to being a slave in Egypt? They didn't get a day off. They didn't get a day to rest. It was work, 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 and that's it. And they didn't have a choice. But God set them free. And gave them the Sabbath. In the book of Isaiah, the father reminds the people through the prophet of the rewards of keeping Sabbath in Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. He says, if you turn your turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
So God established the pattern. It's a good idea. Then he established the law, saying it's not just a good idea, it's required, and then reminds us through the prophet that there are rewards for obedience. God likes it when we do as he asks. And he says if you delight in a holy day, you're delighting in the Lord because it was his idea. And since God established the Sabbath before Abraham, before there was a nation of Israel, before he wrote it with his own finger on tablets of stone for Moses to deliver to the people, God established the Sabbath for all mankind. It's not just for the Jewish race. It happened before, right? So now with all that background, we can go back to Jesus, his disciples and the Pharisees on the Sabbath in Luke chapter 6. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So let's stop there, and I have a question for you. What are the disciples doing wrong? Well, I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned, first of all, none of you care that they are stealing. They are not in their own fields. They're picking somebody else's heads. Well, okay, so the Pharisees don't care about that because there's actually a provision in the law to allow them to do this. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 23, 25 says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Right? If you're in your neighbor's yard and they have some strawberries or raspberries and you eat one, you are not breaking the law. But if you show up with a bucket without their permission, you are, in fact, stealing from them. And that was the provision in the law. Um, I don't know why the strawberries over there. But <laughs> so as long as they are just plucking heads of grain to eat right there and then, not harvesting someone else's crops there, it was okay for them to do that. And the Pharisees knew that. Everybody knew that. Jesus knew that. The disciples knew that. So there's no question there. And I guess you knew that, too, because you didn't care. Um, so if I see some apples missing from my trees, I'll know you've been there. Without a bucket. Without a bucket, yeah. <laughs> Just big hands. Right? So what was the problem? What is the Pharisees' problem? Why are they accusing the disciples of breaking the law? So you were mostly right. The Pharisees are accusing them not just of picking heads of grain, but they are accusing them of harvesting, of winnowing, and of preparing food, preparing a meal on the Sabbath day. That was their concern. Um, so in what we read in the Old Testament text, which are, which are the texts that cover the Sabbath, did you hear any of that? Like it is not okay for you to like pull an apple off a tree and eat it on the Sabbath? Did you hear that? I, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't hear that. I, I, I looked really hard. Um, picking grain and eating it on the Sabbath day, um, not forbidden. It simply says not to work so that you can rest. Um, but the Pharisees, see, they have, a, they have another book, a much 
thicker book than the scripture. So the Ten Commandments wasn't quite enough. So they needed to add some more rules to make sure that you stayed as far away from breaking the commandment as possible. So it says, keep the Sabbath holy. You you shall not do any work. You or anybody that works for you or lives with you, nobody nobody does work. So, well, what does work mean? Uh, How much can you do before it's considered work? Right? The Pharisees in the rabbinical texts actually say, if you go for a walk on the Sabbath day, you can take five steps, then you have to stop and rest before you take the sixth step. Okay? So, I'm over to the strawberries. And, but I have to stop now. And now I can walk back. Just five. I didn't break the Sabbath. One more step. It's a violation of the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. Does that sound ridiculous to you? Good. Because that's, that's crazy. Um, they just wanted to make sure that nobody violated the law. So they added more rules and more rules and more rules uh, to keep everybody as far away from breaking the law as possible. J.J. Van Oosterzee, our favorite theologian, he wrote the 39 different activities, each with six subcategories, which they regarded as forbidden on the Sabbath, were an invention of trivial narrowness, not commanded by the letter of the law, and in manifold ways at variance with its spirit. The Savior maintains the spirit of the law precisely when he incurs in their eyes the guilt of a formal breach of the Sabbath. Here was Jesus' response to the Pharisees. In verse 3, Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. What's the story there? David just, I mean, you're David, so you get to do whatever you want. He was being chased. His men, he and his men were starving. And they went to the temple, or to the tent of meeting, right? And they went in and asked the priest for food. And all there was to eat was the bread of the presence, which was holy food. Right, Not just snacks that were laid out for the kids in Sunday school. And this is special bread. And the Pharisees would not dare accuse King David of breaking the law because he's King David. You don't mess around with him. You can read that story for your homework if you'd like. That's First Samuel chapter 21. Um, I can see you all wrote that down. So David took the bread with the blessing of the high priest and gave it to his men because they were starving. Necessity came before ceremony for David and also for the disciples. True Sabbath breakers are the ones who would sacrifice the men in order to save the Sabbath. So in this whole story, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus, accusing the disciples of violating the Sabbath when they're the ones that are doing it. It's a very popular notion. Accuse someone else of doing what you're doing and make them look bad to everybody else. Alistair Begg said the Pharisees were burying the real law of God under a a mountain of man-made 
foolish traditions. Now, I'm glad the Pharisees are the only ones that do that. We don't have to worry about that at all. Then Jesus goes on to make a statement that is still controversial today. Um, there in verse 5, he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Well, it seems kind of, it, I, I don't want to say it's, there's uh, not continuity there, but it seems kind of thrown in there. Like they're, they're, we're, the, they're, the guys are starving. Let them eat. They're not violating the law. They're not breaking the Sabbath. They're not working. They're not harvesting. They're not winnowing. They're not preparing a meal. All that forbidden stuff that you've forbidden. The Old Testament didn't say anything about making a sandwich so that you aren't starving on the Sabbath day. And then he just says, oh, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And then Luke goes on to another story. And the, the, there are commentators that still don't think that Jesus said this at that time, just that Luke stuck it in there because he did say it once. It doesn't matter. This is what's recorded. This is what we have. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And the truth of the matter is there is truth in that statement. So it really doesn't matter. Jesus, the Son of Man, is master of the Sabbath. So when we read the word Lord in the New Testament, oftentimes we think of that's the title of, for the Lord Jesus. Well, it is. And sometimes you see the word Lord written in all capital letters, uh, specifically in the Old Testament. Well, that's not the same word. When you see Lord written in all capital letters, that's Yahweh. Okay? So that's, if you, if you look at your text here, you will see that Lord is not written in all capital letters because it didn't use the word Yahweh or Jehovah, he uses the word kurios, which means, you're never going to believe this, Lord um, or master, right? So I think if we switch it to master, it, it, we get a little bit more flavor, a little more understanding. Jesus is God. Okay? <laughs> yes, you can say amen uh, when you agree with what... Yes, Jesus is God. So anyone that says Jesus never claimed to be God is wrong. Jesus says it right here, saying that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's talking about himself and being master of the Sabbath. You know, that's not, that's not a phrase you throw around, right? Jesus is God. He made the Sabbath, and he is still master of the Sabbath. Right? He is still Lord of the Sabbath. So some have taken this statement that Jesus said, and they, they claim that Jesus has wiped out the Sabbath, that, um, that anybody ob that observes the Sabbath now is just a legalist. Like they're just, you're doing what the Pharisees did. You're making more rules to add on top of rules and add on top of rules to protect your poor, sensitive little spirit. Well, I don't think that's true. I, I agree with, uh, with Alistair Begg, who said Jesus doesn't cancel the use of the Sabbath. He corrects its abuse, the abuse of the Sabbath. All right, the Pharisees wanted to make sure they controlled everybody, not 
granted everybody the blessing of the Sabbath. He wanted to correct, Jesus wanted to correct its abuse. So Luke gives us another example in verses 6 through 11. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, stand here. And he stood and rose, he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Hmm. So here again, Jesus planned to do good, and the Pharisees plotted to do evil, to do harm. Who's breaking the Sabbath? Is it Jesus because he healed a man? Or is it the Pharisees because they're plotting to kill him? The truth of the matter is the Pharisees were the true Sabbath breakers. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Jesus intended to do good because they knew the answer. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yes, of course it is. Is it lawful to do harm on the Sabbath? No. They're filled with hatred towards Jesus. They'd already made up their mind about him, and there was nothing going to change what they thought. They were so concerned about Jesus breaking the fourth commandment that they ignored the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. They already hated Jesus in their heart. They had already committed murder. And they did murder him on a Roman cross. It's exactly what they did. We're not always free from guilt in this regard ourselves. John Calvin shared two lessons that we can all take away from this passage. He said, first then, let us learn from this passage to keep our minds pure and, to f- and free from every wicked disposition. And we are a- when we are about to form a decision on any question, for if hatred or pride or anything of that description reign within us, we will not only do injury to men, but will insult God himself and turn light into darkness. There's no purity in the hearts of the Pharisees. They were not seeking to protect the law of God. There was wickedness and cruelty in their hearts, and they sought to destroy the Son of Man. We learn also, Calvin says, that we ought to beware lest by attaching undue importance to ceremonial observances, we allow other things to be neglected, which are of far higher value in the sight of God and which Christ, in another passage, calls more important matters of the law. How often do we put our traditions above what God actually says? How often do we put our own thoughts of holiness and righteousness above what the Bible actually describes as holiness and righteousness? Things that we should do, we ignore 
And we do the things we ought not to do. And sometimes in the name of holiness, in the name of Christianity, in the name of the Lord. That passage that Calvin references is Matthew 23, 23 to 28. And it stands as a warning to us to make sure that we are not like this. Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. How often is that us? so concerned about the outward appearance that we neglect the inward reality. And so what do we do with Sabbath? What are we supposed to do now? Is it legalistic to observe? Do you know what day of the week the Sabbath is? Is it Sunday? No, (laughs) it's not. It's Friday night to Saturday night. Somewhere along the line, somebody decided it was Sunday. And it isn't. Sunday is the Lord's Day. We must not confuse the two. We celebrate the Lord Jesus and his resurrection on Sunday. If Sunday is the Sabbath, I violate it every week. This is what I do for work. Is the Sabbath no longer applicable to us? We are certainly set free from the law. But Jesus said that he didn't come to wipe out the law, to abolish the law in its use, but to fulfill it. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He did the work. He fulfilled the law that we might be forgiven of our violation of it. And so the work is done. It was done by Jesus, and we can rest in him. But for crying out loud, take a day off to actively rest. God, (laughs) I saw some elbows at work there. God established this pattern for our good. But somewhere along the lines, we, we, we got, we're convinced that working is what makes us worth something. And we have to just get it all done. So maybe it's just me that we have to somehow prove ourselves worthy when we aren't. Get over it. Take a Sabbath. Rest. And rest in him. 
and enjoy the rest that he offers through his life and death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the pattern that you have established for us in Sabbath, in rest. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to not neglect the gift and that resting actually honors and glorifies you. Forgive us when we seek to honor and glorify ourselves by proving our own worth with work. You've proven our worth to you by giving your son for us, dying on the cross for us. There's nothing left for us to prove. Father, we thank you for the Sabbath rest that we enjoy in Jesus. Through faith in him, we can rest from our labor of pursuing our own self-righteousness. We can accept the gift of your perfect righteousness purchased for us, bought with your own blood. We thank you, Lord, for that great gift. If there's any within the sound of my voice who have not received that gift, that don't know that Sabbath rest through faith in Jesus, I pray even now they would call out to you, Father, in faith, asking for your forgiveness and accepting the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was for them. We pray, Father, that you would forgive their sins and fill them with the Holy Spirit, just as you have forgiven ours and have filled us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.